The Earth Wants You is a project of the Church of Stop Shopping, a radical performance community based in New York City. We rely on you. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you want to support our work, and what is our work? We resist consumerism. We resist the military. We resist the commodification of the earth and her resources. Earthaluya people, join us. Revbilly.com. And Earthaluya, here we are. Back at the Earth Wants You. The Earth Wants You. And I'm Reverend Billy with Savitri D. Hello, Savi. Amen. Good morning, Reverend Billy. And our long-suffering engineer, guru figure, Killian Sunderman. Killian. Here and handsome. Hallelujah. Guten Morgen, Killian. Here and handsome. Wie geht's? So, hashtag the earth wants you. I'm hashtag Reverend Billy. And we have a wonderful hashtag show today. Hashtag great. <laughs> hashtag Friday. Hashtag New York City. Yeah. Hashtag Brooklyn. Amen. We've got the news from the natural world coming up next. We've got our guest is a wonderful artist from the bread and puppet community, theatrical, roving caravan of social change geniuses with outsized puppets and operas and circuses. We have, of course, as we do every week, Extinction's Got Talent this week. The Northern Right Whale. And my sermon, my sermon this week, Jesus was a woman, tell me something I don't know. Amen, praise be. All right. <laughs> Setting it up, Rev. Setting it up. Now listen to me, hashtags have taken over the world. Yes. I mean, I, and of, we're very glad, relieved, it's about time, that the, um, the hashtag women's revolution is hashtag me tooing us all. Praise yeah. be. And that's, you know, we're not going to take away from any credit from that hashtag. But maybe that should be the last one. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, the, the hashtag to end all hashtags. Because this morning I, on the way here, I, I saw the hashtag, hashtag not me, uh, Russell Simmons denying uh, rape accusations. Hashtag not me. So and now there's a hashtag you lying bastard. <laughs> so we have me too, not me, you lying bastard and... How about world peace? I love you all. Let's go. Amen. Crush capitalism. How about hashtag crush capitalism? No, no, leave out the just. Let's just <laughs> let's just let's crush just get capitalism. back to let's try let's to pull the it. language back. I mean, we're we're evolving towards just wretched, short, abbreviated burps and Listen, grunts. Listen, what I think is hashtags are a lifestyle. Being radical is a way of life. You see, there's a difference. It's almost a bumper sticker. I can yeah. use it. Yeah. It's a hashtag I can use. See, I'm slipping back into the brutal language that mm-hmm. we need to, you know, my sermon. We're always looking for ways to communicate. What's the new language? What's the new way to talk? And maybe my, my sermon sh- today should be hashtag woman Jesus. How about we learn to talk by listening? Hashtag girl baby Christmas. How about we learn to talk by making eye contact? Hashtag Girl in the manger. How about we turn our backs on the advertising and the marketing and we look at each other? Hashtag Jesus girl. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> Jesus pregnant by God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hashtag me believe. Hashtag me, me hesitate. <laughs> Hashtag me don't know. 
Hashtag shut up. Hashtag me man. So sorry. Me man again. Me sorry. man again. So Hallelujah. sorry again. Try and to again change. And again and again and again and again and Hashtag again. Hashtag off to rehab. <laughs> Hashtag lost my job. Hashtag I'm laughing. Amen. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has dissolved into something nameless. But I think it's time for the news. Poor air quality is linked to around 4,000 deaths in China every day. But in a new study, geoscientists found that the pollutants may also be causing fatal landslides. Scientists suggest acid rain resulting from air pollution could weaken layers of rock and trigger landslides. Acid rain is capable of effectively fertilizing the microbes living in the rock, allowing them to grow in number and break down the rock's structure. They conclude acid rain is able to reach layers of shale rock through cracks, resulting from mining operations, and this weakened the mountain's composition. Acid rain and landslides. The World Bank has confirmed it will stop financing upstream oil and gas projects after 2019, except under exceptional circumstances in the world's poorest countries. Hmm. That's suspicious. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> the global financial institution made the announcement at Climate Summit in Paris on Tuesday, which took place roughly two years after the historic COP21 climate conference in the same city. Also at Tuesday's summit, French insurance giant AXA announced it will cease insuring the oil sand sector and new coal projects and will divest more than U.S. $3.5 billion from oil sands and oil companies. Oil sands is what we call tar sand. Right, oil sands, yeah, tar sands in Alberta, and coal companies as well. This includes divestment from energy giants TransCanada, Kinder Morgan, and Enbridge, all of which have Canadian offices and are constructing major pipelines. The announcements were among highlights of a one-day, one-planet summit attended by about 50 world leaders and 2,000 participants. How sensitive is the human sense of touch? sensitive enough to feel the difference between surfaces that differ by just a single layer of molecules. Researchers say this fundamental knowledge will be useful for developing electronic skin, prosthetics that can feel, advanced technology for virtual and augmented reality, and much more. As a December megafire continues to spread in California, there are now indications that occasionally extreme fire weather will persist across Southern California well into 2018. Now in its 10th day, the massive Thomas Fire in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties has swelled to more than 240,000 acres, eight times the size of San Francisco. More than 970 homes and buildings have been destroyed and an additional 18,000 structures remain threatened. The long-duration Santa Ana wind event will continue this week, and weather models continue to show absolutely no rainfall until December 30th at the earliest. Temperatures are likely to remain in the 80s, record highs that are 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal for this time of year, mm. with relative humidities in the single digits for much of the rest of the month. These are remarkably unusual conditions for what is typically the beginning of the wettest time of the year. It's been more than 250 days since it rained in Southern California. New research released this month found a previously undescribed connection between melting Arctic sea ice and persistent wintertime drought in California. The combination of these effects amounts to an atmospheric chain reaction that could already be making fire seasons linger later in the year. Exactly 
what seems to be happening right now. Right. People who protect the environment are now being killed at a rate of almost four a week, up from one a decade ago. The war on environmentalists is particularly savage in the Philippines, India, Brazil, Colombia, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. If EU countries don't go fossil fuel free within nine years, they stand no chance of meeting their commitments under the Paris climate deal. I'll say that again. If EU countries don't go fossil fuel free within nine years, they stand no chance of meeting their commitments under the Paris climate deal. Campaigners at Brussels-based environmental NGO Friends of the Earth Europe who commissioned the study warn that if the EU continues with its current plans to support and subsidize new gas infrastructure for decades to come, it will not be able to keep maximum temperatures rising below two degrees Celsius. California Department of Public Health released a new set of guidelines on cell phone use and radiation risk. The guidelines are cautious. They state that some scientific studies have linked long-term frequent cell phone use with brain cancer, low sperm count, and learning, hearing, and sleep issues. Oh. <laughs> the guidelines recommend that cell phone users keep the phone away from the body and away from the bed at night. They suggest reducing cell phone use when the signal is weak, removing headsets when not on a call, and minimizing audio and video streaming on cell phones. In 2016, more than 44 million metric tons of electronic waste was generated, which is 8% higher than the total in 2014. And it's only going to get worse. Experts project another 17% increase by 2021 if things don't change. Some numbers for you. Uh, 4,500 Eiffel Towers equals the weight of 2016's e-waste. Uh, there are 7.7 billion mobile or cellu cellular phone subscriptions, and there are 7.4 billion humans on the planet. 45% of people now use the internet. 20% of e-waste is properly recycled. 38 pounds of e-waste per year per person in Australia and New Zealand. That's the highest in the world. And in Europe, 35% of e-waste is collected. That's the highest number in the world, 35% only in Europe. Interesting, a new journal article argues that if we all kept an equal distance between the cars in front of and behind us, an approach that MIT professor Bertolt Horn describes as bilateral control, we would all get where we're going almost twice as fast. He says, we humans tend to view the world in terms of what's ahead of us, both literally and conceptually. So it might seem counterintuitive to look backwards. But driving like this, with an awareness of the car in front and the car in back, could have a dramatic effect in reducing travel time and fuel consumption without having to build more roads or make other changes to infrastructure. It doesn't make sense. How do you keep a tailgater from... I mean, it is counterintuitive. It, 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 it requires reframing the entire way you navigate the road, really. And here, uh, a, a longer Big read... pushers on, on the back bumper. ...from an article I would recommend to all of you uh, called A Different Dimension of Loss by Jacob Mikanowski in The Guardian, which you can find online. No firewall there, people. You can just get it. Uh, a long article about insects. And I'll just read you a few passages from it. We live in an invertebrate world, 
Of all known animal species, less than 5% have backbones. About 70% are insects. Fewer than one in every 200 are mammals, and a huge proportion of those are rodents. He goes on with this incredible description. The first week of November 2017 looked like any other, which is to say it was extraordinary. It began with 95 new types of beetle from Madagascar being discovered, and this was only the beginning. As the week progressed, it brought forth seven new varieties of micro-moth from across South America, 10 minuscule spiders from Ecuador, and seven South African recluse spiders, all of them poisonous, a cave-loving crustacean from Brazil, seven types of subterranean earwig, four Chinese cockroaches, a nocturnal jellyfish from Japan, a blue-eyed damselfly from Cambodia, 13 bristle worms from the bottom of the ocean, some bulbous, some hairy, all hideous, eight North American (laughs) mites pulled from the feathers of Georgia roadkill, three black corals from Bermuda, one Andean frog whose bright orange eyes reminded its discoverers of the Incan god Inti. About two million species of plants, animals, and fungi are known to science thus far which isn't very many when you think of what happened just this week. Without insects and other land-based arthropods, E.O. Wilson, the renowned Harvard entomologist and inventor of sociobiology, estimates that humanity would last all of a few months. After that, most of the amphibians, reptiles, birds, and mammals would go, along with the flowering plants. The planet would become an immense compost heap covered in shoals of carcasses and dead trees that refused to rot. So... The gist of this article, it's, it's about habitat and extinction. And he says, at a certain point, it becomes clear that to even think about extinction in terms of individual species is to commit an error of scale. If entomologists' most dire predictions come true, the number of species that will go extinct in the coming century will be in the millions, if not the tens of millions. Saving them one at a time is like trying to stop a tsunami with a couple of sandbags. I think it's so interesting to think about that, like how we spend so much time saving one species, like one mammal, you know, in the midst of, so you heard that number, there's like 200 mammals, but there's, you know, out of 2 million species, you know, it's just incredible that we focus all our energy. So that's how we organize our stories. That's how we develop our meaning. We cast characters in roles. It's our story formation has a very limited cast. Yeah, it's very chauvinistic. It's very human-centric. I mean, you going to say it's male? No, I said men, chauvinistic. Men do that? See, now you're being chauvinistic because you say even the word chauvinism is necessarily about men. Oh, damn. See, I mean, come on. <sighs> no, my point is just we have to change this narrative. You know, it's true. It's like trying to stop a tsunami with a sandbag. Like, we have to preserve habitat. We have to think about the whole earth not just as a system, but like we have to think of, of those big spaces and those pathways where animals and insects and fungi and things, all the things we don't even know about can interact. And where are we? Meanwhile, we're in front of Macy's Black Friday trying to hold the consumer hordes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go to where our predational little species is concentrating its, its fossil fuel fuel footprint fossil fuel footprint say that six times that's that's how we're remember symmetry that's what the church of stop shopping is doing what else can we do have a great podcast amen (laughs)
<laughs> and and uh, speaking of which, this this podcast is a is a project of the Church of Stop Shopping. The name of the podcast is the is the Earth wants you. So that's a that's a very general um, application of of an idea. We're saying the Earth is a single intelligent being, a living being. So that's a way of approaching the life forms, the millions of life forms, um, you know, which we're such a little parochial group. Again, I would say that's a, mammals. it's a failure of imagination, though, to describe the Earth, as you just did, as if it were a god, a single intelligent being. No, let it rest in its complexity. One doesn't have to reduce it to a single intelligent being to give it its due and proportionate power, you know, which is that it is the... It While is we're adopting the strategy of earth cultures, they say the great spirit, the earth wants you. Well, you may be adopting that language, but I, so far, am not. So the, the, our podcast is splitting in two <laughs> along editorial... <laughs> uh, uh, we have we have different editorial approaches here and listen stretch we'll yourself we'll do the two shows simultaneously now we'll be two voices just like the MIT <laughs> professor says you know when you're driving you maintain a, an equal distance from what is in front of you and what is behind you now that is truly counterintuitive how do i maintain a distance from what's behind me shouldn't that be the responsibility of the vehicle behind me so in the same way, it's important now to expand your imaginative capacity to include the millions of species and all the undiscovered ones. And just this week, yeah. I read about 50, didn't I? So the Earth, they want you. Correct. Like, like yes, we, we have like, these young children now who don't want to be... Uh, it's not just children, uh, honey. It's grown-ups, too. Identified as a... Um, a gender. That's right. They want a new gender and they have a new gender as a, as a as a a white male I'm, i just i'm having trouble saying the word gender <laughs> you should be afraid very afraid now he is suitably <laughs> petrified at the moment everyone oh amen hallelujah well this is savatry d petrifying <laughs> reverend billy and i'd like to introduce a song from the stop shopping choir um this is a song about honeybees speaking of colonies and Although the honeybee did start out as a solitary creature, how did they come to have a hive? Now, here we have the stop shopping. They collectivized, like the way we have to. Amen. Socialism, people. Let's go. Cooperatives.
Welcome back to The Earth Wants You. I'm Savitri D here with Reverend Billy in downtown Brooklyn, New York. Amen. That was the Stop Shopping Choir singing about the honeybee, the fabulous, fabulous honeybees who teach us so much. And I will say our next guest... Also teaches us a great deal. Yes, she, she comes to us from the Bread and Puppet Theater based in Vermont. Uh, Bread and Puppet started in New York City on the Lower East Side in the early 60s, I think maybe 1962, 63, by a man named Peter Schumann. And then moved up to Vermont in the early 70s. Um, Bread and Puppet have been a fixture of the resistance my entire life. And um, I've seen images of their presence at virtually every major protest and march that ever was in this country in my whole lifetime. (laughs) Earth They have very important people. Yeah, they have a a storied history, but um, I would say that they probably as much as or more than any other theatrical company in the country have sort of kept the spirit of resistance uh, Mm -hmm. running through their work like water these 40 years. 50 years now. And continuity is so... It's incredible. Uh, ...important and dramatic. We know that because we're a small theater company, and, and it's really hard to keep a theater company going. It's a lot of work every day, every single day. And it, it requires a lot of people to uh, commit their resources, their volunteerism, their energies, their bodies, their time. Um, it, and to do that for 50 years straight is truly impressive. I mean, the, the people that started at about the same time as, as we did in the late 90s and around uh, 9-11, in the early noughties, uh, the, uh, uh, the missile dick, tick, dick chicks, the uh, critical cheerleaders, radical, radical cheerleaders, mm-hmm. remember the radical cheerleaders? Mm-hmm. The billionaires. The, the billionaires for Bush. The, the, uh, the idea of, of, of being dramatically theatrical in public space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then... And then expanding your definition of public space to include the lobbies of banks that finance climate change and what have mm-hmm. you. That that notion, um, we, there was a whole generation of us that kind of came in at the same time. We all knew each other in New York. Um, and we've watched our friends become professors and <laughs> start restaurants in Boulder, Colorado. And um, the Gorilla Girls are still with us and Code Pink is still with us. We have We have the longer, we have some of these people that, we're going on through time with them, and they've, they've stayed. They've changed a little bit, but their basic costume, their basic approach has remained the same. And Bread and Puppet is like the uh, the, the mother-father god of us all. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk today to um, Mara Gain, who is a longtime member of the Bread and Puppet Theater. Um and they are in New York City for their annual residency in December. Uh, they come and they do their circus and usually another performance as well, a play, um, right now an opera. Hi, Maura, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you loud and clear. How are you today? I'm doing great, how are you doing? Good, I'm here with Reverend Billy too. Amen, Earthalooyah. So I was wondering for some of our listeners, if you could just give us, first of all, a brief history of Bread and Puppet Theater. Yeah, so Bread and Puppet, it started um, in 1963 in 
New York City, actually, by Peter Schumann. And the theater at the time, it was him getting together with friends and people on the street and, um, you know, any anyone that was around that wanted to make art and put it in the streets, take the paintings off the walls of the museums and parade them um, so that it was, you know, art for the people. And there was a lot of protests going on with the Vietnam War and uh, so making lots of puppets and giant spectacles to protest and bring beauty to the protests. And um, so that's where it started. They're all making lots of shows, too, about, you know, um, the rats, the cops, a lot of the things that were happening um, in the Lower East Side at that time. And then eventually, uh, the Peter brought, took Brennan Puppet with his wife, Elsa Schumann, up to Vermont. And um, there they were working with Goddard College, and uh, they were given Kate Farm to work from. And that's where they started making these giant outdoor uh, pageants and circuses, using incorporating the landscape, and um, and then eventually moved to Glover, Vermont, where it's been since the 70s, um, where we continue to have there's a big big giant barn with all the puppets, and uh, we continue to make these large pageants and outdoor um, circuses and parades and um, up there in Vermont. And then the company itself tours around the world, uh, you know, September through June. And that's what we're here in New York doing this uh, week. So, yeah, when you say we, you mean the company. And I, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about who makes up that company. Yeah, so um, there's, a, like I said, the director, Peter Schumann, and then there is a crew of us that are puppeteers and the way we describe puppeteers is that we are people that kind of do a little bit of everything um, and not so good at anything, so we joke about it. But it's mostly, um, yeah, people that uh, make puppets, we dance, we sing, um, we cook. We come from all different backgrounds. Um, there's a smaller company that's the full-time company um, that lives in Vermont, and then when we come to New York, we collect volunteers to be in our shows and consider them a part of our New York company. So we have people uh, coming from, actually this run, a lot of different countries, France, Germany, Ecuador, uh, people in New York City, um, yeah, kind of all over. And we come together and we make these shows happen. And um, yeah, that's that's the company right now. So Mara, I, I, I'm confused. Are you are you saying that you're not a YouTube channel? <laughs> you mean you're not real? You're real people? We're real people. We're three-dimensional people. We're flesh and blood. We are performing live for live people. That's scaring and, uh, me. I'm scared. Yeah, you should be a little scared. I am. But we, we're three-dimensional people, but we believe in the two-dimensionality of cardboard. <laughs> And that's what our that's what our opera is about. What's amazing when you see when you see Bread and Puppet, um, just to paint a little picture, there are these massive, incredible puppets, um, a lot of giant faces, and they they really play with scale a lot. So they play with like a giant face and a smaller body, or a giant, huge piece of cloth that turns into the sunrise, or they really. Um, 
play with materials and a lot of the materials seem to be found materials and things that you and I could just access today. So there's also this wonderful accessibility of the work of Bread and Puppet. Could you talk a little bit about that, the, the, um, the materials and how, how you go about making the puppets? Well, we are proud practitioners of the paper mache religion, which means we love collecting cardboard off the streets and getting cornstarch and making a glue and paste. And we use that to make our giant puppets. And um, usually, we, but for the giant ones, you know, we get all hands on deck, just paper mache. So no experience needed to make a puppet. And um, yeah, house paint, sea cheap materials. We, we love gleaning the streets of New York City because there's so much incredible garbage that, that we... <laughs> make the puppets out of these giant gods of, of trash. Um, and that's that's mostly what we, we use. We use lots of found objects. Um, and it's amazing what gleaning the trash of New York City, <laughs> mixing it with all the incredible people that are here, and sprinkling, sprinkling a little magic, and then we create these giant spectacles. Well, the magic, I'd like to discuss the magic a moment. The... the um it seems to me that you, uh, one of the blessings of Bread and Puppet, the, the experience of being in that, in that theater with you, is, is that, you, um, you have an undulating, uh, uh, forty foot long piece of fabric. You have, you have a little cardboard box that becomes a mansion. You have, uh, you credit, the audience member with having. An imagination, and we we sit there and we realize, wow, I do have an imagination. <laughs> I'm thinking of that mansion. And it's a little cardboard box. Mm. Whereas, you know, in modern life now, we're being hounded and chased down the street by uh, the tremendous facility of new graphics of constantly mm. the screen the screenal life. Um, mm -hmm. You know, is uh, all these blockbuster movies and so forth. You, you can. It's constantly breathtaking, and you're expected to have no imagination at all. You just sit there like an idiot, mm -hmm. like a consumer. So, mm -hmm. I want Mar. I'm. I want to just express my gratitude to you for not infantilizing us, for letting us, you know, rise to the occasion with our own personal genius. Amen. Mm. Hallelujah. Yeah, we, Go ahead. We, we we serve bread with our shows. Bread and aioli. Aioli is this garlic olive oil, a little bit of salt and parsley, um, you know, uh, concoction that we put on our bread. And we say our bread is this sourdough hearty bread that's from this sourdough starter that's 150 years old. Mm, amen. And we, we serve this bread and we say uh, our bread is like our puppet shows where you ha it's not easy. It's not like Wonder Bread that's light and fluffy that you can chew and swallow. and Get cancer. Uh, cancer from, yeah, exactly, but rather it's this hearty bread that you have to kind of chew on, and it takes you a while, and it's not easy, and the aioli, it stays on your breath, that garlic is with you the next day, so you're still, you're still breathing in that garlic, and it's like our puppet shows where, you know, it's going to stick with you, it takes work, mm -hmm. it takes some effort, you have to be present, and it's going to st stick with you for days, months, years on end, where it's going to pop back into your head, and you're like, oh, that's what that was about. One of the things I love yeah. about Bread and Puppet is how um, persistent the messaging is. So 
Um, even when people have stopped talking about the peace movement, for example, much to my dismay, you know, that that has, is a word that's disappeared yeah. from peace like Alleluia. everyday language, even though we're still at war in how many countries. Um, when I see bread and puppet, those that language comes right back to me. And there's this insistence on carrying those messages forward, even if everyone has stopped paying attention to them. That's important for our child, who's uh, seven Lena, and mm-hmm. Lena uh, uh, loves to perform with Bread and Puppet, and and uh, you invite uh, the neighborhood children to come in and uh, on no notice at all. That's great, you know. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the mm-hmm. thrill, and she um, she comes out of that experience and asks us, "What is the peace movement?" <laughs> mm-hmm. She doesn't remember having the peace movement. Uh, necessarily emphasized in the language that's coming to her from the modern world and we have to sit down and and then she'll ask us well where is it where is it besides bread and puppet and and we have to we have to admit that the great overarching mother earth uh, campaigns like peace uh, uh, have faded in the face of hard-driving issue, single-issue-oriented, identity-oriented uh, mm-hmm. politics mm-hmm. Of, of of the bare-knuckles um, approach of today. And then we find ourselves asking the question, well, isn't it true that we have to have the peace movement? We have to have it back. And how would we do mm-hmm. that? So we go through, our as our family goes through a whole circle of questions that are very important from your tenacity, your continuity. Peace, hallelujah. Yeah, and having kids in the show is tremendously powerful and important to all of us, the, the multi-generational aspect. Exactly for what you're saying, it's like creating a dialogue not just with words, too, but with our actions. And, you know, we often say, if you don't understand our puppet shows, ask the kids. Amen. And they, they, they understand aspects of it that our adult brains have decided to shut down from and then you know and it loops back where the kids ask the adult brain questions that the adult brains can also fill in the blanks for but um yeah and i think the circus we so we're performing two shows in new york last week we did our circus our domestic insurrection circus and this week we're performing our honey let's go home opera and (laughs) the circus is a great format for um it's a bunch of one acts, you know, where we can talk about single issues while also having, as you said, like this umbrella uh, issue of like of peace. And um, yeah, I think it's important in these times to to stay both getting into the details of pushing for certain topics and fighting for certain things while also remembering the larger issues and not getting so overwhelmed with the details that we become immobile mm-hmm. well, we so need, what's hard what's hard about what you do i mean i i like to talk about sort of the brass tacks of being a radical person in the united states today like what what it takes to wake up every day and 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 align my life with my values so could you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what you go through as an activist and as an artist um mm-hmm. every day um, the forces to be there is nothing that wants to support the the illogic 
and beauty making of art. And therefore, every day, there's a discipline to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a discipline in making fun. Having having fun and beauty is it's a real discipline to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think figuring out the details of life, the logistics to make that happen. Um, sure, that's a struggle, but it's a it's it's one that we all have to do. Um, and just and having friends and and having these dialogues and. I would say um, just continuing to make work no matter what, whether it's in a theater or going out on the street and doing a, a dance, you know, putting up a sign and doing a dance just for anyone that's walking by or to do something every single day is critical because if, if you stop doing stuff, then everything becomes overwhelming. And sometimes you can, you know, get a little bit of pay to feed your face and sometimes you don't and it's all fine but we have you know helping one another that's really critical but you know we at brand puppet we're possibilitarians we believe in the possibilities so that's that's what we're we're all making shows about is the the possibilities and that's where the miracles come from mara when you believe something's possible then all of a sudden you get to be surprised and the earth gives back to you a a tremendous exactly reward. Like I said, there's everything is is telling us that things aren't possible. That's right. right? That's what's keeping us down, and so we're refusing. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> right. I yeah. refuse. Yeah. We feel but your power. Everything's possible. Mara. We thank yeah. you for your work, Mara. And I, w- let me just ask you one final question: w- Could you just tell us about your favorite place on Earth? That's an interesting question. I don't know if I have favorites, but but the image that just came to mind was um, there's this one very particular spot on this Beaver Brook up in Vermont where I live, Um, and I would say that's my favorite spot. It's where there's these certain rock formations that come. To maybe other people, it's insignificant, but for me, it's it's just it's just. just incredible. Earthalluia. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds that sounds like that place that we all need. Mara, thank you yep. for being with us here today on the Earth Wants You. And Good luck right. with all your touring and your shows and thank you again so much for all that you do. Red and Puppet's such an inspiration for the Church of Stop Shopping. We're so grateful to you for your leadership. Amen. Thank you. It's an honor to speak with you. Thank you. Everyone practice saying that at home. Possibilitarian. Possibilitarian. (laughs) Listen, quick, people. Remember what I said earlier? New evidence supports the carcinogenic properties of cell phones. It's not a myth. It's not made up. Keep your phone away from your body. Don't sleep with it next to your head. You know, take it's precautions. Mind, it's mind people. and body. It's the mind becomes erased yeah. and stupid. Yeah. Our IQ actually sinks, diminishes in the presence yes. of iPhones. Yes. And even in the next room, so take our a break. iPhones go down. Put the phone away from you when you can. Okay, that's the news. And, and throw it into the back of a garbage truck. Yeah, and, and here, crush it. A quick musical break.
This computer is infecting your brain. This computer is infecting your brain. Please deposit all brains in the receptacle next to the computer before you leave. Thank you. This computer is infecting your brain. This computer is infecting your brain. Please deposit all brains in the receptacle next to the computer before you leave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now we have to do the rest of the radio show from the bottom of this. Thank you. This trash Thank you. can we're in. I'm at the bottom of a trash can now looking up. Thank you. Check it out, Billy. So, you know how you see peop- dream catchers are everywhere nowadays. Um, I even saw one made of sparkly ribbon and tinsel at, at Taylor Max's show. The giant dream catcher on the wall behind behind Judy while she was performing. Amen. Anyway, here's the thing. I did some research about dream catchers. Um, what they've discovered is that the the threads of the dream catcher, when they photograph your mind dreaming at night, like, you know, whatever they use, electrocardiograms or something, it mimics the pattern of the dream catcher. So amazingly, somehow the people who invented the dream catcher actually were mimicking in a kind of like biomimicry without even knowing it. They were mimicking the, the, the way the neurons work while you're dreaming. So, so that web shape thing. How awful. So this is really great. What they've also discovered is if you really want to have um, visionary dreams, lucid dreams. Orwellian. What you do is you get, fascistic. you get the giant dream catcher, the one that's like as big as a pizza. Okay. A big pizza sized dream catcher. <laughs> These people need to be arrested <laughs> and, now. And you build a kind of hammock. Are, are they in the a White hammock House? hammock for your head. <laughs> A hammock for your head. <laughs> and then you sleep. Is this for sale at Williams Sonoma? And then a you hammock sleep for your head. With your hammock your head in the Dreamcatcher hammock. Okay, and what it creates is this this parallel network. And so your dreams are like oscillating between your neural network what? and the Dreamcatcher network. Oscillation. Dreaming oscillating. Oscillating dreams. This is some kind of new age wormhole we've gone down. Where, where did you learn this? Savitri? <laughs> Burning Man? Where did you learn this? Extinction's got talent. Today, the northern right whale. The North Atlantic right whale is one of the most endangered of all large whales, with a long history of human exploitation and no signs of recovery despite protection from whaling since the 1930s. It's a very large whale, mostly inhabits temperate waters, um, is most often found in coastal waters, especially during their breeding season. The females breed about once every three to five years. Gestation is about one year, and the single calf is nursed for nine to 12 months. Um, it's still not known where these whales mate. Um, the North Atlantic right whale was once found throughout the North Atlantic. Ex- exploitation began around the 10th century with peaks between the 13th and 17th centuries. By 1700, it was too rare a whale to be of economic importance. It was called the right whale because it was the right whale to kill. Mm. Today, the species is threatened by ship collisions, entanglement in fishing nets, and contamination and poisoning by a 
dioxin-like poison. And there are fewer than 350 northern right whales thought to be swimming the oceans today. And they will likely be extinct within 10 years. And here, the sound of the North Atlantic right whale. The North Atlantic right whale in conversation, in song. All of the natural world is singing. If you're walking through a forest and we're wearing a, a bodysuit made of 700 microphones, every one of those microphones would pick up another song. Creation is made of melody and beat. It's very moving. Savitri? Yeah. Hear that being? To hear that being and to think of how long ago humans were impacting the animal kingdom, 10th century, 17th century, it was already economically useless to humans. And now just 350 left. They used to pool in groups of 40 to 50 to 100, just hanging out. They don't, scientists didn't really quite understand what they were doing, whether they were talking or, um, but now they're in groups of two and three and their whole social system is broken down. And that must impact their survival. It would for us. They say that the um, we don't appreciate the degree to which uh, socializing among living beings is, is a part of their survival. Uh, for instance, we uh, in forestry, it was assumed for a long time that you wanted to cull and clear out the... Uh, we were projecting our idea of competition on forests. We were saying each individual tree needs to have sun and light. And so they would cut down the trees um, in between and leave individual trees. That's our culture again, individual trees uh, with a maximized amount of, of, of water, light, sunlight. And, and, it turns out that um, just in recent years, they're discovering the extent to which trees are stronger when they're closer together. Uh, and know. that they work together. They're symbiotic. They actually can send through fungi and uh, electricity in the earth and soil. They can send information to each other. They can send nutrients under the ground to each other that they 
protect the older trees if a tree is becoming weak and dying they actually send kind of juice to that tree amen it it i mean of course of course they're doing that you know this is a highly successful um presence on earth right the trees must have figured something out they covered the entire planet of earth at one time practically and we in the united states of course are we come from this culture in which the uh the living being that we we constantly uh killed on a daily basis and just assumed that that death would take place were, were the trees we went we we came west and we have um you know, we, we have, we identify that especially with maleness. Uh, going west across uh, this forested continent and uh, making the highways, making the farms, making the cities, we, we think of that progress as, as coming from these, uh, this particular species of this gender that is now being rolled back by the discovery that women won't put up with it. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Can't and won't. Too and tired. We got other things to do, baby. <laughs> We're moving on. And there's a way of looking at there's a way of looking at, w- at what's happening right now, and um, it is such a surge of energy, and it's such a, it's such a shared conversation by so many people at once. We haven't had that in a while. Um, not in this level of intensity. We're all talking about the same thing, thinking about the same thing. Every day, two or three powerful men resign, go off to rehab or to jail. And uh, um, I would just like to reflect on the fact that, of course, and this is the subject of my sermon today, of course, Jesus was a woman. Tell me something I don't know. The only uh, people that still claim uh, that Jesus was a man Possibly Roy Moore in southern Alabama on his horse. Uh, maybe Steve Bannon, where he's, you know, doing cocaine, drinking whiskey, um, feeling bad about what happened with the Roy Moore election. Beyond that, I don't know. I don't even think Rush Limbaugh believes it anymore, praise be, although he's high somewhere on his painkillers. The, the child in the circle of animals. And the circle of animals, you think about it, it's, it's, it's a very carefully prepared, the nativity scene is very p- carefully prepared visually. Around the animals, angels and shepherds. Around the angels and shepherds, stars. The stars are actually changing their position to align with the baby. That baby's a, a girl. Clearly, that baby's a girl. Uh, I'm just repeating the obvious here, and there's there's nobody out in podcast land that would argue with me on that one. But the 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 circle of sheep and lambs and pigs that that may may have changed. You know, we're vegetarians now. We don't you know necessarily want them in the barn anymore. We we want them to have um, be happy meat. And then we don't want them to be meat at all. Hallelujah. We want them to have a life. So we'll, we'll liberate them. Uh, the shepherds, they need to unionize. The angels as well. Um, the stars, we know those stars have solar systems around them with planets, with other living beings on them. We're not, you know, 
using the stars as our tapestry anymore, are we? That's over. So what is replacing the nativity scene uh, with what, what we would call com the compassionate imagination? What is replacing it is, is the, what the earth is telling us. We say the earth, want, we say the earth wants you, the name of our show. We've amended that now. The earth, they want you, right? Hallelujah. Non-gender, praise be. Well, the earth's expression seems to be storms and fire and flood. The earth is expressing itself in a way right now. We have to admit to each other that this expression is highly energetic. Would we call it angry? Is that projecting our personality on the, on, the, on the earth? We know that they are messages. We just have to go to the earth cultures who've been spending their thousands of years talking and listening to the earth. And they are telling us, we went to Standing Rock, they are telling us these are messages. Well, let's just say the baby girl is surrounded by superstorms, wildfires, and earthquakes. And the baby girl doesn't need anything more than the virgin birth. Because we know, we know, that when the men are all off in rehab, the children will have to come from somewhere else. We know that uh, the virgin birth is how nature, in many cases, uh, um, makes life. The men are not necessarily understood. There's a word for this. There's a complicated... Parthogenesis. Thank you very much. Our resident scientist, so Sister Savitri D. The... The, the, the energy of the earth is making its own life. It is, doesn't need to be invaded, manhandled, doesn't need to be managed, doesn't need to be, well, until very recently, most of the women were bought and sold. Marriage was uh, uh, an economic transaction in which, in which the woman was purchased and she had the rights only of a property, a piece of property. The, the, the fact is that we would do well to disinvite right now from that whole process the manly presence, including God the Father. Let's, let's admit to ourselves that the expression right now from the earth, the, the storms, the fires, is coming from the mother. Hallelujah. We can say mother, father, but don't say father by itself. Hallelujah. Praise be. You know, thunder-perfect God was multiple genders. Maybe that's the way to go. But we know that, that, that at this moment, this week is the winter solstice. This podcast will be posted right on the winter solstice day. We'll just have a little bit more light, a little bit, the spark of more heat. The night will become a little less dark. And we will have suddenly the ritualistic memory of springtime. And that springtime is a little girl that is born to teach us peace, to save us from our violent impulses, to make that forest thick, to make bread and puppet go up and down the avenues and remind us of what we can do with the imagination of paper mache and reinvented trash. Oh, Earthalluyah, it's a comeback time with the girl Jesus. Praise be. A woman, a girl, a baby girl. <laughs> Thanks, Rev. Hashtag baby Jesus.
The Earth Wants You is a project of the Church of Stop Shopping, a radical performance community based in New York City. We rely on you. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you want to support our work, and what is our work? We resist consumerism. We resist the military. We resist the commodification of the Earth and her resources. Earthalooya people, join us. RevBilly.com.